listening to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Go to the message verse in Genesis chapter 1. We've been preaching the last couple of weeks on the subject of deconstruction. Everybody say deconstruction. And if you have really your pulse at all on what's happening in the broader evangelical world, there is a departure from the faith in mass happening primarily with the younger generations, but it's really affecting everybody. This departure has been coined deconstruction. And whenever we see people asking hard questions, we always tend to judge them for asking the question. Because in church culture, you're not allowed to ask questions. Be quiet and obey. Heard a preacher this week, very popular preacher. If I said his name, everybody in here would know who I was talking about. He was up preaching, and he was preaching about some topics that in my opinion, are not biblically accurate. And as he's preaching, he says, now I know this doesn't make sense, but sometimes to walk by faith, you got to shut your brain off. Selah. Paul didn't think about it. Sometimes to walk by faith, you got to shut your brain off. I think that is terrible advice. I think that if God does not provide answers for us theologically that make sense, then those answers are not really the answers that God's provided for us. Evangelicalism has crafted a bunch of answers that don't make sense, and now we have to shut our brain off and just swallow them. But when we really want to get down to what the Bible affirms, it is the most beautiful, compelling, life-changing, life-giving message in the world. It is full of goodness and beauty and truth, and that does make sense to us. Are you with me this morning? So we've been preaching about deconstruction. We've been deconstructing, deconstruction. We've been talking about some of the main aspects, some of the main ideas that are causing people to depart the faith. The first week we talked about this, we talked about how people read the Old Testament. They read these versions of genocide and murder in mass and in slaughter and, and just, it's, it's a, I mean, it's just bloodshed everywhere. Not just humans, but children, not just children, but animals. It's just bloody from one side to the next. And a generation started saying, now, wait a second. This doesn't make sense. If we serve a God that calls himself love, how does that reconcile with what he says about himself? Are y'all with me this morning? If Jesus is the visible image of who God is, Jesus never acted that way. So why does it look like God is one person and Jesus is somebody totally different? And evangelicalism has said, shut your brain off, take it, right? That it is what it is. There's an old statement that was popularized in the early evangelical culture about reading the Bible, and this is what they would say. When you read the Bible, they would say, if the literal sense makes sense, 
seek no other sense. Meaning when you read the Bible, if what you read hardcore right there, line by line on the page, if that makes sense to you, then there's no other meaning to it. It's just that. Okay? God told Saul, go kill children. And it doesn't mean anything beyond that. That's what it means, because if the literal sense makes sense, then seek no other sense. Now, when Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off, that's deeper. That's got another layer to it. Surely that's got another layer to it. I remember being 12 years old, reading my Bible for the first time in English class, and I stumbled upon that verse. And I thought, oh, my God, my Baptist church never talked about this one. You read the book of Revelation, and there's a woman clothed in the sun. I don't think you call she's She's wearing the sun. Riding a beast. And we read that and say, it's going to get crazy. <laughs> I remember as a kid reading about this monster climbing out of the Mediterranean Sea with seven horns and ten crowns and the name of blasphemy on his head. I remember reading that as a kid while my preacher was, was preaching. And it, it, when I was growing up, I would read the book of Revelation for fun. And I would think, Oh my God, you cannot make a movie this good. Because if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. And that idea about reading the Bible is completely and utterly misguided and wrong. The Bible is a spiritual text that has to be read spiritually. And anytime you start reading the scripture in ways other than spiritual ways, then you're not reading it properly anymore. Y'all like, yes, right. We think we know what you're talking about. We talked about reading old, the Old Testament. Then we talked a little bit on Mother's Day about women, how women have been held back because the idea of a God that would condone female oppression or black oppression or native people's oppression. It, the, the idea of a God that would condone that offends us. And it should offend us. But we have used the Bible in these ways over the years to affirm all of those heinous acts. I heard, a, y'all ain't ready for this. I heard a preacher say one time about the slaughter of the native peoples in America, this is what he said. Because the Bible makes this, the Bible has this statement. Are y'all with me this morning? The Bible makes this statement in the book of Proverbs. It says, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. All right? And I'd always heard that my whole life, that all the rich people going to give me their money, all the evil, wicked, rich people going to give me their money. Hey, glory to God. It was weird because being rich made you evil, but then all those rich people were going to give me their money, and I wasn't going to be evil because of it. Glory to God. I love how that works. I love it when the rules change like that. And so that was always the, that was always the thing. Yeah, they, uh, Jeff Bezos' money's going to be in my pocket. You better buy some Amazon stock. if that's, That was how it was preached. And I heard a preacher say this about the slaughter of the native peoples. He says that what happened with the, the conquest of America was God's laying up the wealth of the wicked for the righteous. 
that the native peoples had discovered the land, but the white man conquered it because they were not serving God and we were. And then we came in and seized it by murder and by force. Glory to God. He saved this for us. And this is how he had us take it back. That's reprehensible. That's reprehensible. But this is how we think. The Bible's been used to justify slavery. It's been used to justify oppression. It's been used to justify injustice of all kinds. That's why there's a departure, not really from God, but from this corrupt version of Christian faith that we have preached for decades. And to that I say, good. To that I say, amen. Because that is not the vision we have of God in Jesus. You with me? Now I'm going to talk about one more this morning. You ready for that? You're not, but it's all right. I'm going to talk about how do you read Genesis and make it make sense with science. I know I cussed in church saying the S word. Science. How do we read this? I want to show you something. Genesis chapter 1. You with me? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. First this. Remember, this is in the message Bible. First this. God created the heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth, I love this language. Earth was a soup of nothingness. A bottomless emptiness and inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a, a dove above, like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke light and light appeared. God saw that light was good. God separated light from dark. God named the light day. They named the dark night. It was evening and morning. Day one. Watch verse six through eight. God spoke sky in the middle of the waters. Separate water from water. So God made sky. He separated the water under the sky from the water above the sky. And I know when you read this, especially in the King James, you read through that because it don't make sense. He separated the waters above the firmament from the waters below the firmament. What is the firmament anyway? God made sky. He separated the waters under the sky from the waters above the sky. And there it was. And he named the sky the heavens. It was evening and morning, day two. God spoke, separate water beneath heaven, gather into one place. Land, appear, and there it was. God named the land earth. He named the pooled water ocean. God saw it was good. God spoke earth, green up, grow all varieties of sea-bearing plants, every sort of fruit-bearing tree, and there it was. I like that, and there it was. Earth produced green seed-bearing plants, all varieties, fruit-bearing trees of all sorts. God saw that it was good. It was evening and morning, day three. God spoke lights come out. Look at verse 16 through 19. God made two big lights. You got to love the links that they went to to describe this. And two big lights. Look at verse 20 through 23. God spoke swarm, ocean with fish and all life. Birds fly through the sky over the earth. God created the huge whales, all the swarm of life in the waters. Every kind and species of flying birds. God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill the ocean. Birds reproduce on the earth. It was evening and morning, day five. God spoke, earth, generate life. Look down at verse 26. 
God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, yes, earth itself, every animal that moves on the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He blessed them, male and female. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for fish and birds, for every living thing that moves. Then God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on the earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree. Give them to you for food, to all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes. I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. God looked over everything he had made. It was good, so very good. It was evening, and it was morning, day six. Now, if you grew up in the church in America, especially in the South, you were afraid of anything, especially science. My wife growing up couldn't watch Bill Nye, the science guy, because science. And if you grew up in the South, especially, there was always this war, this secret war. Sometimes it was not so secret between the claims of Christian faith and science. And what we fail to realize is that is a uniquely American problem. They don't think like that globally. A science textbook does not cause people to backslide in England. I know because I have friends there. It's a uniquely American problem. And there's, a, there's an interesting history as to how we got to this problem. And one of our challenges is we are so steeped in the culture that we're in that we don't realize we're reading things through a cultural preference. We just believe it is this way. It's just like this. This is just how the world functions. It's not how the world functions. It's how your world functions, and it's how my world functions, but it's not how the world functions. All right? So this tension, it's not, tension is understating it. This full-on battle of Armageddon between science and the claims really of Genesis, and so much is implied in that, is that, is that such, a, such a boiling point that anytime we have hard scientific evidence for every, anything, it is rejected because the Bible said this, or the Bible said that. And again, it's easy to claim that's what the Bible said, but it's really... That's what you say the Bible is saying. It's not what the Bible says. This is a uniquely American problem. Everybody knows about the concept of the separation of church and state and how those two things are not supposed to touch each other. And Thomas Jefferson said there's going to be an impregnable wall between church and state. And then out of that came the notion of manifest destiny that we were called by God as the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, to take over the North America and set up God's kingdom on earth. And we are there's just something special about us. There's just something the kiss of God is on us. Reject all of the all of the murder and the mayhem that follows our history. There's just the hand of God on us because we told ourselves that. You add in that the, the rise of what is known as Christian fundamentalism. Fundamentalism is this. In the early 1900s, there were a handful of evangelical preachers that wrote a collection of essays and compiled them in books. 
And those books are called The Fundamentals. I used to have a copy of these books. I lost them in moving, but I'd read several portions of them. And within these fundamentals, these fundamentals, they were the books that instantiated things like, if the Bible makes literal sense, don't look for any other meaning. There's nothing deeper than what you read on the surface. Right? When you even read Jesus, you know that Jesus did not teach that way. When he would teach a parable, it would have layers and depth to it that went far beyond a surface understanding of what he said. But the fundamentals instantiated that in our thinking. These books were compiled so they could disseminate them to pastors all throughout America who didn't have enough money to go get a seminary education. This became their Bible school. It exploded. They sold millions of copies. They sent millions of copies all over America. And it became the backbone of theology within the local mainstream church. You with me? Our version of that would be TV preachers. You know how much poor theology has been done by TV preachers that we are spending decades trying to shake loose out of people's minds? I ain't going to mess with your rapture today, but it's coming. (laughs) Then out of the fundamentals, out of fundamentalism taking its hold, also in the early 1900s, you had the famous Scopes Monkey Trial, right? Y'all don't know what that is. It happened in Tennessee. Dayton, Tennessee. Where is Dayton? You're like, meh. Meh. There's a court case that said you cannot teach anything in science class that is not creationism, that is not the literal God created the earth in six 24-hour days, the earth is 6,000 years old, that evolution is demonic. It was a court case. This is how this took hold in our religious imagination. And then we created entire Christian education systems to keep our young, impressionable, sweet children away from the evils of science. This has lodged itself in our thinking that we don't even have the ability to stand outside of it and critique it. It is so in our bones that it just is what it is. But it's not like this globally, and it's never been this within the tradition of the church. Did you know the first person to propose a Big Bang was a Catholic priest? That hurt, didn't it? Now, I'm here, up here to debate evolution. I'm up here to say we're reading Genesis completely wrong. And it's making fools out of us all. And there's a generation that's finally stood up and said, this isn't right. And we call them deconstructing. We call them leaving the faith. There is not a claim. There's not a single claim that science makes that contradicts the Bible. Let me say it again. There's not a single claim that science makes that contradicts the Bible. Scripture 
and science are dealing with two completely different things. Science reigns supreme in the arena of facts. Theology reigns supreme in the arena of values. Two different things. Science tells us how the world works. Theology tells us why the world is. Two completely different worlds. Let me, let me say it a little bit more sharply. Science tells us how to build a nuclear bomb. Theology tells us whether or not it should be dropped. Two completely different worlds. And only within primarily our Southern American evangelical tradition are these things so interwoven that to try to split them and parse them apart, you either become a flaming fundamentalist or a demonic progressive. Rather than a well-informed Christian with sound theology. Now, when you read the book of Genesis, anybody in here ever read the book of Genesis and come away from thinking, man, I don't know. <laughs> if you haven't, you haven't read it closely enough. You not ever read the book of Genesis, but hmm, I have some questions. You ever read any of the Bible and thought, I'm going to have to go back through this part. Read the book of Revelation. Read the book of Revelation. Tell me on your first read-through, you know what it means. Be like, we're going to have to spend a little time thinking about this one. Genesis, I'm going to hurt your feelings again. I'm going to hurt your feelings again, but this is helpful for us. The Bible itself, especially Genesis, the Bible itself is not written to you. I know, I know. I grew up too hearing it's God's love letter. What a love letter. <laughs> There's a woman that drives a tent peg through her husband's temple. There's another man that stabs a man and a woman having sex in the back with a spear. Roses are red, violets are blue. <laughs> his love letter. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, you should not have that boy sleeping with his stepmother. <laughs> that is no Hallmark card. Tell you that. It's God's love letter. The Bible, especially Genesis, it's not a science book. So don't try to make it one, right? <laughs> when you see these Christian exhibits where they take Genesis and try to make it science, I'm going to state, just say this, it's not. Genesis is not a history book. It's not a history book. It's not trying to be that. It's not that it can't be that. It's, it's not even trying to be that. The Bible is a revelation of God. And how God's people have responded to God. 
The Bible is a story about how human beings became gripped by death and God became man and set us free from that curse. That's what the Bible is. All right. We we romanticize it. It's his love letter to you. Well, which part exactly? Which part? The part where the prophet walks around the town naked? Is that part of the love letter? What about the part where Ezekiel burns feces? You ain't read your love letter, have you? What about the part where Judas hangs himself and his bowels gush out? Now, if that ain't heartwarming, I don't know what is. We romanticize these things, which means we lose what they actually are to us. The Bible is written for us, but it's not written to you. The book of Genesis was written by ancient Israelites, for ancient Israelites, and they were not scientists. They didn't know what a germ was. They didn't know what an atom was. They didn't know where the sun went at night when it got dark. Charlie, throw this picture up there for me. If you read Genesis literally as a science book, this is hard to see, I know. But Genesis talks about the earth is flat with a dome over the top. Yeah, you can darken that a little bit if you need to. And the firmament, which is in Genesis chapter 1, is a dome. And they believe the reason the sky was blue was because water was sitting on top of it. And there were windows in heaven. Y'all have heard that phrase? There are windows in heaven. And when those windows would open, water would pour out. They called it rain. And when the windows would close, it stopped raining because the windows were closed. They taught that the earth had foundations. Okay? If you read it scientifically, this is what you get. They thought that stars... Where, where somebody had scratched under the bottom of the dome. And that earth itself, it was basically a giant snow globe immersed in water. It was the ultimate terrarium where the reptilians and the humans lived together. This is what you get when you read the Bible in ways it was not meant to be read. There were people that will fight you on this. The Bible says earth 6,000 years old. The Bible says crazy. That's not what the Bible says. That's not even the picture that the Bible is trying to cast for us. The Bible is not written by scientists, nor is it written by historians. It was written by storytellers. They're trying to tell us a story about how God created his good creation. They're trying to tell us a story about God, how, about how God created his image bearers and set them in his good creation. Let me give it to you like this. If you read, if I were to hand you a book, if I were to hand you a book and it didn't have a title on it, it didn't have an author's name, it was just a blank cover, and you opened the book and this was the first line that you read. Once upon a time, you would know immediately what you're reading. You're reading a fairy tale, right? If I handed you another book, 
no name, no author. You opened it. And the first line read this. Roses are red, violets are blue. You know immediately what you're reading. You're reading poetry. If I handed you another book. No name, no author. You opened it, and it said, on September 11th, 2001, two planes struck the Twin Towers in New York City. What are you reading? History. I hand you another book, no name, no author. And you open it, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What are you reading? Science. No. No. When Israel received Genesis, when they read this story, they know what they're reading. We're reading a story about a God that created himself a tabernacle called earth, called creation. And just like every other God would do that builds himself a tabernacle and then at the end to crown off the building of their tabernacle, to crown off the building of their temple, they put an image of themselves in it. That's what Israel knew they're reading. God created this creation as his tabernacle and then he put him his image in it, which is us. This is their roses are red, violets are blue. This is that. This is their once upon a time. When ancient Israel read this, they immediately detected what they're reading. And we think we immediately detect what they're reading too. Some kind of literal, historical, scientific account of how things came to be. So if something violates that, that's just the devil. We are doing more harm to the Bible through misreadings than science has ever done. And this is causing people to deconstruct. I want to to show you something awesome about God. God speaks our language. You hear that? God speaks to us in our language. God will speak to us in our language. You ever had God speak to you through something that only God knows that would get your attention that way? You ever done that? There, there are certain phrases. When somebody comes up to give me a prophetic word, there are certain phrases I know if they use that, God's speaking to me because God speaks our language. This is exactly what God's doing in Genesis. You have this ancient cosmology, this ancient world understanding of how things are, and God's not trying to correct them. God's not saying, now listen, there's not really a dome over the sky. There's actually... You got all kinds of planets out there. You're not flat. You're a circle. He's not trying to give to spell out for them how physics work. God is speaking to them, and God said, let there be a firmament. They're not actually saying that God created a dome over the earth. There's a great flat earth documentary on Netflix. You need to go home and watch it tonight. That's beside the point. You're welcome for that, though. God is speaking to them in their language, and he's not trying to correct their understanding about science. He is communicating to them about himself in ways they understand. 
All through the Old Testament, you hear this language. God tries the reins of the heart. The thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You know why that language is there? Because the ancient world literally thought that your thoughts happened in your internal organ. The heart. It's not metaphoric. They thought it was the heart. The beating, palpitating organ. They thought that's where you thought. And when God speaks to them, he says, I try the reins of your heart. He's not trying to correct them about neuroscience and brain chemistry. You think you think in your heart, whatever. I try your thoughts and your intentions. I'm speaking to you in your language. You hearing what I'm saying? Deconstruction is really happening in people's lives because we are lazy in the way we think about these things. And it's also happening in people's lives because as evangelicals, we crave simplicity. We crave either or. We crave the elevator pitch version of Genesis. There is not one. We crave the tweeter, the tweeter version. I was going to say tweet and Twitter, and it just came out tweeter. The tweeter version. I've had three kids by myself for four days. Y'all pray for it, brother. We crave the tweeter version, the Twitter version of understanding. One of the things that marks our theology, we want it to be simple. That's why you can go to any Christian bookstore and you can buy four views on hell, six views on women in ministry, three views on fasting, because it has to be simple for us. Politics has to be simple, left or right. And we're looking. The moment we think, we detect something from the other side. We jump all over you. I know you voted for this guy, but I think I heard you say you like capitalism. (laughs) Because we have to be that oversimplified. Rapture, no rapture. Rapture. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. It's got to be one of those. And you meet people like, no trip. Whoa! <laughs> what? No rapture. I can't with you. We cannot have fellowship. <laughs> the situation right now in Israel. You either stand with Israel or you stand with Palestine. You can't stand with humans being harmed and wounded. You can't do that. We need it simple. We also need it to be painless. We don't want to have to wrestle with these things. The moment you start, most Christians, the moment you start to talk to them about anything with any real depth, they're just, I can't. I can't. I'm not smart enough. I don't have a degree. This is your, this is the foundation of your faith. I can't. Start pushing a little bit. The Bible's not written to you. Oh God, what do you mean? I'm a backslide. (laughs) Tell me I'm not right. We also need it to be productive. We don't care what we're producing as long as we're productive. 
as long as our church is big, we don't care who it's made up of. We don't care really what they believe. We don't really care about their vision for the world. As long as we appear productive. But if you really want to be a disciple, you have to embrace the wrestling. It's a wrestling match for the rest of your life. We are holding this in tension with that, and you're fighting with this, and you're overcome by that, and I don't know what to say to this, and I don't know what to think about that. That is what discipleship means. Some of us, our beliefs were handed to us, and we've not thought about them since, since the day they were handed to us. And anytime something flares up in opposition to our beliefs, we dismiss it without giving it a moment's worth of a voice. And we call that being a strong Christian. And it's not, it's weakness. It's weakness. You don't know what you believe. So you're so terrified to question what you do believe. Y'all with me? My time's up. Let me give you one more thought. I want you to see how self-centered we can be, right? Genesis was written by ancient Israelites to ancient Israelites. But we are convinced the proper way to read it is to take it out of their world and drop it into ours. Because it would be too much work for us to leave our world and fall into theirs. Right? That's what people miss about the book of Revelation. They get it wrong from the jump. They think the book of Revelation is about them. When he talks about the persecution happening in the book of Revelation, he's not talking about you having to wear a mask to Costco. There were Christians being pulled apart with horses and boiled in oil. And you're having to have a Zoom meeting and DoorDash all of your meals. It's not. The, but that's how that's a special kind of self-absorption. I know y'all are being crucified upside down. I get that. But I don't get to go to Disney World for a whole year. That's a special kind of self-absorption. I'm going to lift up your world and drop it into mine. Instead of me leaving my world and getting into yours. That's how we read the Bible. We don't read the Bible as Christians. We don't read the Bible as students. We read the Bible as Americans. As 21st century Americans. And we read verses like Jesus talking about in this world you'll have tribulation. You're like, you got that right. My interest rate just went up half a percent. The cost of lumber around here. People filling up their cars with gas and putting them in plastic bags. You think the vaccine is dangerous, but you put gasoline in a shopping bag. <laughs> Jesus was right. This is a tribulation, boy. It's just going to get worse. Price of lumber just gonna go, it's gonna be eight dollars a board before you know it. 
That's not, I promise you, that's not what Jesus was talking about. It's deeply self-centered. I'm not going to make my other point. That wasn't even my other point. The Bible, the Bible is the most glorious, compelling, beautiful vision of God, of humans, of creation. And we completely miss it because we're reading it completely wrong. So when you see people asking questions, maybe they're just not trying to make excuse because they want to live in sin. Maybe they want to serve God as faithfully as they know how. And they want to think about God in ways that are worthy of him. I will make my point after all. Ancient theology, ancient theology, sorry. Ancient Christian tradition has always affirmed this about human beings. Human beings, they believed, I won't go into all of it, they believe human persons, their vocation was a number of things, but one of their vocations was this, that as human beings, we're called to be mediators. Mediators. What they mean by that is, we are to take the resources that God has given us and transform that into good for the world. Okay? So when we see advances in areas like technology and science and medicine, it is human to celebrate that. God did not make the chair you're sitting in. He didn't make that. He made metal and then a human mediated that resource and turned it into something useful for the good of all of us. God did not make your air conditioner. God made air. And then we took the resources that he gave us and mediated it into usefulness for us. All right? Any mama in here that's ever had an epidural knows God is good. Science should be celebrated by Christians, not condemned by it. As it moves forward and helps heal the world, the polio vaccine should be celebrated. Uh, you're getting mad at me, I know. I'm going to get a DM, it's fine. Anytime, listen, anytime, in any circumstance, any time in any circumstance where human beings take the resources God has given us and they turn it into something useful for the world, God gets glory out of that. That is a human being being human. That's a human being being human. God did not build your house. God gave us the resources. And then we turned it into what we needed. That is God getting glory out of us being human. You hear what I'm saying? I hope that can, I hope that can tweak our thinking a little bit. That when people do, I remember, well, I ain't going to say this because you can't say this because it gets too political. So let me think about another one. There were people that opposed the polio vaccine in church. Because guess what? It was the mark of the beast. 
We've had we've had more marks of the beast than 666. <laughs> Y'all get that later. They opposed it. Those demon scientists. And Oral Roberts, the great healing evangelist, whose entire ministry was centered around God divinely healing people, said this is a gift from God to us. Because advancement was made and humans are being healed, that's worth celebrating. You can conduct business from an iPhone. If you have an iPhone, you can be automatically employed right now. Start door dashing, baby. I'll order some Buffalo Wild Wings and I'll tip you good. You can be employed right now. It's for the good of all of us. God gets glory out of that. God is not for this side. God is not for that side. God is for all of us, even the people you don't like. The will of God is for the good of all of us. And the kingdom of God is God doing good to all of us. You hear what I'm saying? Stand on your feet. As far as I can tell, there are people that that haven't had these questions or these qualms. They've not had these wrestling matches. I remember when we did the Revelation class a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. We were talking about certain things, and there were moments in the class where we would where we would untie something that had been pounded for decades, and we would untie and say, "No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying this." I remember in that class, there were moments of insight where people would say, oh, thank God. That sounds like good news. It's crazy, right? Good news. Oh, that sounds so beautiful. I've, been, I've heard this my whole life, but now, now it makes sense. I'm seeing this. It's like a thousand pounds rolls off their shoulders because they've been carrying the weight of a contradiction. For their whole Christian life, they've been carrying this weight of a contradiction. And all typical churches had to offer me is shut your brain off. And for some of you, for some people, they're like, that's fine. Got it. Not a problem. And I don't mean that as an insult. I, I, I don't, I have dear people in my life that I love, they're like, you just tell me what to believe. My daughters will come up to me, Dad, do we believe this? <laughs> Why do you believe, honey? She say, don't even start that. Don't even start asking me to think through it. We got on the topic of the rapture the other day. I know I'm really coming after the rapture today. I'm sorry. If I didn't mean to offend you. I was talking about the rapture. We were driving home from school. She goes, Dad, I've, I've been hearing this thing about the rapture. We're just going to get sucked out of here. All the bad people are going to stay said, yeah, what do you think about that? She goes, that's what she said. I was so proud. She said, I find it a little far-fetched that Jesus is going to take all the good people and leave all the bad people to die. But when he was here, he sat at the table with the bad people and not the good people. He said, double portion on you, my child. So she said that. I said, I'm so 
I said, yes. I said, what do you think about that? She goes, okay, I'm done talking about it. That was the one nugget she had. She shot all her ammunition. She's like, I'm done. Take me to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> The weight, the weight of these contradictions is heavy. And I'm here to tell you that God has answers for us. God has answers for us. And those answers are found, I guarantee you. God's answers are always beautiful and good and true. They're beautiful, they're good, and they're true. So we're not the enemy of science. People are being healed and life is being advanced and humans are flourishing, we celebrate because that's what God's called us to do. You with me? There's a whole branch of Christianity that came through that wouldn't go to a doctor because doctors are evil. I had a lady tell me the other day I posted that I got the vaccine and whoo, that was a bad idea. Posted the card. Vaccinated. She fired off. So you like aborted babies, huh? She's like, Jesus. It escalated to level 9,000. I was just like, I'm glad I'm not going to get COVID. She's like, well. She said this. She said, she said, getting the vaccine, I don't care if you're pro it or, or not. That's not my point. That I don't. If you don't want to get do what do your thing. That's, I'm not here to impose any of that on anybody. That's not what I'm trying to do. I want you to hear the thinking behind this. She said, "It is a slap in the face of God to get this vaccine." It's like this gets worse. Not only have I killed babies, now I've offended God. She said, "Because you think." that you can add to and make better the perfect immune system that God's already given you. So if it's perfect, why am I getting sick anyway? Look at at the, the two different worlds. If this can help heal us, we should celebrate it. Or if this is done, it is a slap in the face of God. You see that the dichotomy there? Away with all of that. This is not here about the vaccine. Do your thing. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about we have to think differently. The Bible is not a science book to tell you how atoms and molecules work. It is a vision of God flourishing His image bearers. And we should celebrate that flourishing in all of its forms. Can I get an amen from somebody? Father, we thank you today. We bless you. You're good, you're mighty, and you're awesome. We want to see you properly. We want to read your word faithfully. We want to wrestle with scripture deeply. We want to think about these things in ways that are true, in ways that are good, in ways that are beautiful. We submit submit ourselves, we surrender our hearts to your spirit. Teach us, lead us, direct us, and guide us. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.